Hey friends, I'm Ann Eileen Thompson. Thank you for joining us on the Faith Driven Leader Podcast, where we equip and embolden one another toward a career and a life built on deep trust in our good Father God. Our guest today is the amazing and inspiring Beth Guggenberger. Beth is the founder and the co-executive director of Back to Back Ministries, which is an international Christian nonprofit dedicated to being a voice for orphans. Back to Back provides care for today and hope for tomorrow to orphans around the world. And they work diligently to eradicate all forms of generational poverty in vulnerable children's lives. Things like spiritual poverty, physical poverty, educational, emotional, social poverty. And through their work, Beth and the Back to Back team have also teamed up with world-class trauma specialists. And among countless other leadership lessons, she often shares how their learnings on trauma aren't just for those people out there, but for all of us. She is a gifted author and a speaker, inspiring Christians to live by what she calls reckless faith. You know, just before we hit the record button, Beth said that her aim whenever she speaks is to be more truthful than impressive. I think you're going to be impressed with Beth, not only because of the incredible work she's doing, but because of her authentic honesty. So let's jump in. Beth Guggenberger, hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, and thanks for having me. I'm just so excited to talk to you and to learn from you today and for our listeners to get a glimpse into some of the wisdom that you've gleaned over the years running your ministry and your marriage and just life. I think you have a lot to offer. Well, thanks. I had a radio show for a while and I was interviewing this author named Anne Lamott. I don't know if your listeners will yes, be familiar with her. Yeah. And I was like, forget all my listeners. Like I got you on the air. Like I got some questions for you. And I said, Anne, I'm a writer. You're a much better writer. Like what advice do you have for me? And she said, oh, Beth, that's easy. Just write something you would be delighted to stumble upon. And I remember like, I remember everything about that moment because I thought that's exactly right. So I was just thinking as you were saying hello, like let's have the kind of conversation that we would be delighted to stumble upon, not like that we'd be like, I'm so glad somebody's saying that. I'm so glad somebody just asked that because that's the kind of conversation I would want to be in. So I hope your listeners feel like this is the kind of conversation that they wish that they could be in with us. And we're saying the kinds of things that resonate with them, not because it's (laughs) polished or perfect, but because it's sincere. It's real. It's just yeah. real. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think, I think that that we both have that same heart posture. So I'm sure that that's where we'll land. I'm confident of that. You know, this, this podcast is called the faith driven leader. Mm-hmm. And I always like to start with leadership. I, I'd love for you to share with us in, in your own words, what mm-hmm. does faith have to do with leadership? And, and maybe what's, what's an aspect of your leadership that you can, point to that is particularly impacted by your faith. So what does faith have to do with leadership and kind of how does that come to life for you? Uh, I think one of the things that faith has had to do with my leadership is that I realized really fast, I'm not smart enough, clever enough. And faith actually reminds me that there's somebody else (laughs) that's on the job. And, you know, God is strategic. God has vision. God is a good problem solver. God is creative. He is like actually all those things. And so it's more important that I connect into him who then will lead me to be those things than it is for me to figure out how to exercise business acumen in order to have the muscles to pick up the things that are coming at me. I I just need faith. I need I need to to access that. 
And the result of that, or probably the answer to your second question about how does it directly impact, I think that I'm relentlessly hopeful. Like I have this sense that like, it may look like we're in a tight spot. It may look like things are falling apart. It may look like we're not going to recover from this. It may look like all that was for nothing or whatever the discouragement is. But my Bible tells me things like uses all things for good. And the Bible tells me (laughs) things like, you know, nothing's impossible with God. Like there's enough truth in the scriptures that it keeps me in a, in a hopeful posture. And that probably, you know, there's a lot written even in the secular world about having a positive attitude in positions of leadership and how that can be frame changing for organizations and cause people to want to take risks and all that. So it makes sense to me, even in an intellectual way, why it's good to be hopeful and positive. But I think that the gas for that comes from my faith life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I love that concept of being relentlessly hopeful. And you're right. Like there is tons of science behind this. Mm-hmm. And yet I sometimes wonder how how do folks who don't have a biblical foundation, what do they put their hope in? I think the same thing. I was actually in a meeting last night with someone who was behaving poorly and they don't share our faith. And my nature would be to judge them. My nature would be maybe to dismiss them, whatever, like all the, all the bad stuff. I kept thinking like, what do they do with all their bad feelings without the Holy Spirit? Like, I, I actually don't know what I would add up to be without that faith component. So that shifted my brain and I pivoted towards empathy instead of um, offense, which is what probably where I would have been faster in a more natural state. Um, Right. Yeah. Such a good reminder. Such a good reminder. So I was thinking a little bit when I was preparing for us to be talking about the mission of Back to Back and just how big it is, mm-hmm. how how big the mission is of every child feeling loved. And I was connecting that back to so many of our listeners who work not in the nonprofit world, they work in mm-hmm. big secular companies or small secular companies. And I think a lot of times they probably feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. for what feels like a impossible task, a big task. And I, I bet we could learn something from you about How have you dealt with, have you felt that feeling of overwhelm? Like this is way too big. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with it? How do you process through that? What are some leadership tips and tactics and techniques that we could use that you've learned along the years? Yeah, uh, for sure. That, yeah, overwhelming is a common thread among anyone in any kind of leadership. It is overwhelming to steward responsibility like that and to feel like people are looking at you and you don't know the answers. But um, I was kind of praying through the fruits of the spirit and telling the Lord, like I could use a little bit more of that. And I'd have, if you add some extra of that, I I can sense that I need more of that. And like, and then I stopped and I said, Lord, when I need wisdom, I ask you, discernment, I ask you, patience, I ask you, self-control, I ask you, you know what I need more of, Lord? I need more capacity. I literally need more capacity. I'll spend that capacity on you, but I, I need you to give it to me. And I've watched him answer that prayer and I have watched my capacity swell. And wow. I, I feel like it's supernatural. You know, I'm not taking credit for it. I absolutely remember those prayers. I remember the response to those prayers. And I've tried to be faithful to use what he's given me for the things that he's asked of me to do. Yeah. But the second thing that just came to my mind when we were talking is probably my most embarrassing 
are the most inappropriate I've ever been in public um, as an adult. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> it is. This is a, this is this is a conversation I'd be delighted to stumble upon if somebody's <laughs> going to be this honest. But I was at a conference, a poverty conference, and yeah. um, because of the work that we do among the poor, and I was sitting in a lecture of two researchers who I had a lot of respect for their work, and they were presenting for almost ninety minutes some theories and best practices on working with the poor. And I was getting more and more angry as it went on because they were making it seem like it was easy, like it was a science. And if you do A, then you should, the result will be B. And then if you do C, the result is D. And it was very clean and logical and everyone was nodding their head and taking notes. Like besides the fact I was thinking about Jesus is there'll always be poor among us quote. I was just thinking, you're not characterizing it right. It is not clean working. It's not simple. And so by the time they asked for a Q&A, man, I, I almost stood on my chair. So this is where I'm not super proud of what I did next. But, um, I, you know, I said, do you love somebody that's poor? <laughs> like, have you ever had dinner at their house? Do you know their mom's name? Have you celebrated their birthday with them? Like, because if you actually love someone that's poor, then you realize you can have we we should gain understanding. We should have, like, I, I, I'm not trying to negate their work. I just wanted an overlay of it to say, yeah. when you love someone, it's not that simple. And I think when I think about being overwhelmed, I get overwhelmed when I think about causes. Mm. I get empowered when I think about relationships. Mm. And so usually when I'm in the overwhelmed state, I'm thinking like, this is a problem to solve. And I'm not big enough to solve it, or we don't have what we need to solve it. And by the way, I'm the answer to this problem. And mm. but inside, I know I'm not, and that dissonance is overwhelming. Relationship yeah. tells me, like, okay, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage. I'm gonna go into whatever the story is, and I'm gonna add my part to that part, and we're gonna see how it adds up. And that helps me. That keeps me from feeling overwhelmed. I don't know. Does that I, does that make sense to you at all? Does that resonate with it, you? It does. It that totally makes sense. I mean, what I hear you saying is when we're overwhelmed, we're probably thinking about the magnitude of the problem or the challenge in front of us. And the shift is to say, for just about any challenge, yes. It starts with relationships, whether that's with your team or your coworkers or your client or the people that you're serving, no matter it, it's really, it's about relationship and that, that feels much more manageable and much more something I can, I, I know I can contribute to. Yes. Yeah. I remember I was a foster parent and I had a child run away um, mm. from our home as a foster parent. And I was so panicked because of the statistics I know about human trafficking and just all the, all the dangers that I knew were out there for her. Mm. And my mom taught me when I was little that when you get in trouble, you pray 911, which is the, the Psalm 91 one prayer about yeah. you can rest in the shadow of the shelter of the Almighty. And I was I was chanting it almost like a, I mean, I was just chanting it to myself, like I'll rest in the shelter of the shadow of the Almighty. And in the middle of that, one of the probably the 50th time I said it, I was like, huh, I guess actually you're my shelter. And you're her shelter. And right now, all my big feelings are because I feel like I'm her shelter. And in my absence, she's unsheltered. But the yeah. truth is, you actually like her more than I do, which <laughs> was not a lot at that moment. But, I, you know, like, and I, 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 I think overwhelmed comes when I own things that were never mine to own. That's probably the easiest way to say it. 
This is interesting because there has been a theme across a couple of the conversations that we've had. And even when I was reflecting on for myself, like as a leader, what do I wish I would have known when I was younger? Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that we pick up responsibility for so many things that aren't ours to pick up and, and just not even understanding how to apply the, that the scripture of my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I always thought, well, good for you. (laughs) Mine isn't (laughs) Mm -hmm. right. But you're, you're absolutely right. The overwhelm, there's a strong correlation with, are we picking up things that we, we need to be handing back to the Lord and reminding ourselves and sometimes reminding him, it helps me sometimes just to remind him, Hey, remember this promise you made me in your word. I, I need to see you come through on this one. <laughs> yes. And I think about all the, you know, if you just do a quick internet search on business development or leadership development, there's a lot of, you know, programs and tips and tools and trades about, about capacity building and leadership pipelines. And, yeah. but honestly, it's, it's a bit of emptying yourself out more than it is adding more things to, you know, I, I want yes. tools in my tool belt for sure. But the more I kind of release the actual, the more my capacity ends up growing. Yeah. That's an interesting, I was going to tie back to when you said I've prayed for capacity and it showed up. So I, that's a really good tie back to this because I wanted to go back to that and ask, what did that look like? What does it look like? Because I think sometimes you've ever heard the joke about the guy who's it's, there's a flood and he's asking God to help him and mm. a boat comes by and he's, he just waves to the boat and then a helicopter. It, and it's like, he doesn't recognize when the Lord is showing up to help him. Mm-hmm. Help us, give us an example of a time when you prayed for capacity and it showed up. What did it look like? Help us to recognize when God might be sending us some help we don't see. Yeah, that's a great question. And that analogy, it's true. Sometimes capacity has come up in the form of additional support or hands, you yeah. know, like what might look more traditionally like delegation. Sometimes it comes through like, as a leader, we always have knots to untie and they're not knots that get untied in a single day very often. They're mm-hmm. they're kind of complex and maybe even developmental in their nature versus like acute problems. Most most leaders are good first responders. Like they, they know how to show up yeah. on the scene and be decisive and get out of a crisis. But those aren't the typical problems. The most problems we have to solve are much more complex and over a period of time and with consequences in every direction. So if you take a step left and you should have gone right, then what's what's the price going to be to pay? And I think where I've seen capacity come is is even in in kind of soft skills like insight or communication mm. or creativity. So I, it's not just been in the kind of the the very tangible, tangible things yeah. like things canceling or people showing up to help. Like not just that, but even inside of me. And in my favorite, probably my favorite aspect of leadership is risk-taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that capacity keeps me in an abundance mind frame instead of a scarcity mind frame and helps me feel like, yep, maybe we're going to control this risk. Maybe we're going to have a great off-ramp. Maybe we're going to pilot this risk, whatever. Like there are all yeah. kinds of ways that you can make, you can size your risk to be appropriate. Yeah. But um Someone asked the other day, my first book was called Reckless Faith. And so I turned 50 recently and somehow that news got out in the world. And somebody (laughs) said, the older you get, are you becoming less and less risky? 
And I said, actually, the opposite. opposite. The older I get, the riskier I'm getting because yes. the more I've seen God come through. So me too. Yeah. I'm like, just watch out when I'm 80. I'm going to be all <laughs> over the place. But um, so I think I think capacity also shows up for me a little bit in risk taking. Yeah, that's interesting. What a great perspective. And I love the. I, I've realized that over the course of probably the past 10 years, I've noticed. Gosh, I'm taking more risks, and they don't feel as risky. Mm-hmm especially with when it comes to like my career or being more authentically me, mm-hmm. it, it, things that used to feel very risky to me because I've seen God's faithfulness and I've, and I'm learning more and more who he's designed me to be. They don't feel as risky. And it's, that's a gift. It's a gift of maturity at maturity. I think even, you know, that just comes with the, the 50 moniker. I think the fifties are going to be Amazing. Okay. I'm excited. I'm 52 yeah. and it's so far, it's really good. <laughs> it was fun. Right after my 50th birthday, I am interacted with a woman that I'd never met before. She's 82, has had a ministry in Uganda for a long time. Yeah. And she finally said, the way you can when you're 82 in the middle of a lunch, how old are you? And I said, actually, I just turned 50. And she goes, oh, the best decade ever. Uh, and I thought, yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, thanks. Thanks for that. That's a very encouraging. That is awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I heard you talk about a year and a half ago, and it was right when Throw the First Punch was coming out. Mm -hmm. And I was most, it was the first time I had heard you talk. And I was so struck by the understanding of the complexity of trauma that -hmm. you have built over the years. And Mm -hmm. trauma is one of those things that I feel like when I was growing up as a leader, trauma was not center stage. People really mm-hmm. weren't talking about it. But these days it feels like lots of people are talking about trauma. Lots of people are recognizing that they've had their own trauma and people are recognizing the complexity of everybody else's trauma. You deal with the trauma of children who've been through unimaginable circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing there's learning that you've developed about how to help people through trauma that as leaders, I I think we find ourselves, many of us beginning to recognize our own trauma. We got to figure out how to deal with that. And then recognizing that people on our teams are dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. Help, help us a little bit. Cause gosh, this feels, we're back to overwhelming a little bit, but this, this feels like a lot to handle. How do we handle our own trauma while we're also leading well yeah, it is. A, it's a very fascinating topic because it's been our world for two and a half decades. But yeah, it, it's not been the world has not really wanted to talk about trauma in the way that we are now. We we are now because of COVID. We are now because of mental health crisis. Like now, it's a yeah. word people are paying attention to. I can remember um, during COVID, the YPO organization asked me to write for their magazine, Real Leaders, about being a trauma informed essentially supervisor like how do you lead people who are experiencing trauma which felt in stark contrast because six months before covid or no three months before covid in january of 2020 i went um to the world economic forum in davos switzerland to talk about trauma and everybody wanted to put me in the box of like war-torn regions and natural disasters and i'm like no actually trauma is happening in every suburb and every inner city and every rural community across the entire globe but it was a word that we felt like applied to maybe whoever them is. Like it's 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 yeah. for them. It's not something. And then as a whole world through the pandemic, we had varying versions of 
trauma or trauma that we had experienced a long time ago came up to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a very fascinating. We've partnered now with both secular and faith-based leadership organizations to create training curriculums for leaders really to address this because, I mean, simply said, there is meaning behind behavior. And so we can see somebody's behavior Mm -hmm. and we need to understand where's that coming from. And the late Dr. Karen Purvis, she was a pioneer in this field. And she said that we can't take people places that we haven't been ourselves. And so as a leader, it's my responsibility to understand my own trauma and the meaning that's behind my behavior so that when it surfaces in a, in a place, I know where did I just get bumped or where, where did, where did that come from? And speaking of bumps, I was using this analogy the other day. I was interacting on a, a multidisciplinary and cross-organizational team with someone who's clearly not done very much trauma work and doesn't have a tremendous amount of self-awareness. And it feels like we have these speed bumps all the time. Like we'll go, we'll we cruising along and then all of a sudden, boom, we we bump up against something that triggers this individual who I think has a fabulous brain <laughs> and has a lot of experience, which are two things we want in our leaders. Yeah. But without emotional intelligence, it's like, we're constantly having to navigate these like little speed bumps and then yeah. we can go off again. Yeah. And the result is there's ruptured relationships in, in their wake. So I think, I think trauma is a really important discussion for leaders to have. We're just all kind of new in that, in leadership yeah. and all that. Well, I think give us an, give us a practical example, like mm-hmm. maybe for a, something for yourself mm-hmm. or for somebody that you know, or that you're coaching where you see something that's popping, like even this particular example you were sharing, Mm -hmm. if you were coaching that person, like how do we help ourselves through it and or help another person through it when, when something is triggered, triggered has kind of become Mm -hmm. a bit of another buzzword, buzzword. but but when you, when you can see somebody starting to be exhibit some of the signs of anxiety and you know, something's going on there, or you feel that for yourself, what are, and, and I think those are two different things, right? How do I handle it for myself? And how do I coach somebody through it? Can you give us an example? Yes, I'll give a little bit of science and then a little bit of practice. Okay. The science is, and uh, forgive any neurologist listening to um, <laughs> your podcast because I'm going to make it sound simpler than it really is. But the front of our brain, we have a prefrontal cortex and that's where all the right thinking, the best thinking happens up there. Like problem solving. Yeah, creative thinking, yep. cause and effect. Yep. Like we want, we want everybody firing in their prefrontal cortex. Behind our ears, we have these two little almond-shaped glands called our amygdala, and that's where the fight, flight, or freeze is. And leaders tend to be fighters. Like, we're not freezers, or we would have probably not become leaders. Right. Uh, we might be fleers, you know, but probably if you were a fleer at some point, a supervisor or manager pointed that out to you. Uh, we're typically fighters. <laughs> yeah. And so if we get, to, to use that word, triggered, bumped, if we get something sets us off, and our amygdala decides that we want to either fight, fight, or freeze, and there's a new one they call fawn now, then our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex cannot work at the same time, and the amygdala wins every time. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, all the good thinking stops. And th- that's the basic science between wanting to create places of emotional and felt safety. That's where teams work their very best. If you're doing a performance review, if you're trying to cast a vision for a new product line, if you are, I mean, whatever you're trying to do as a leader, if somebody is 
Like, wait, wait, wait. What's that mean about my division? What's that mean about my budget? What's that mean about my travel? What's that like if you if you have in essence triggered someone yeah. and now they're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, they are not with you any longer. You are not okay. talking to them in a language they can hear. Yeah. And that's true for children and that's true for adults. And I was thinking the other day, I was driving down the road speeding and <laughs> I was late to somewhere and I passed and I had people in the car a kid in the car, the radio was on. I was following a GPS. So I had a lot of things my brain was doing at one time. And I saw a police officer who pulled out of his spot and I thought was following me. And so I'm now amygdala triggered and I'm in the fight, flight, or freeze mode. I won't tell you which one that I chose to do at that moment, but I was like, (laughs) turn down the radio, told everybody to stop talking. I could care less where I, you know, my GPS, I was like, I was in, I wasn't doing any of the good complex thinking, you know? And so I think that's a really, um, that's important. But again, following, I suppose, along in the science, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that good brain researchers have taught us about trauma informed responses that help people leave their amygdalas and go back up into their prefrontal cortex. And three simple like life hacks are listening. Like yeah. just stopping and listening. Our brain actually heals when we have the full attention of an empathetic listener. So mm. just not trying to bulldoze over them or shut them down or even worse, make fun of them or whatever. Like stopping right. to listen right. is a beautiful way to get people back up in the right part of their brain. Play, like when we play, mm. we our brain releases all the right chemicals to do all the right things. And then the third one is yes, the word yes. And even if like somebody's saying, hey, does that mean that I can still, you know, like if you're in front front of a team and you're presenting something and you have a new idea and it's going to create change for somebody and that person didn't have any forewarning or doesn't like the change or whatever, and they ask a question and you want to say no, no will actually perpetuate that fear response. What you want to say is yes. So can you reframe your no into some kind of yes? And I do that yeah. with my kids all the time. Like, can I have ice cream for breakfast? Like, yes, after you have had your wheat germ and, you know, vitamins yeah. or whatever. Like, like, <laughs> like I, I, the answer is, can you have sugar no, right now? No, you can't have sugar right now. This is breakfast. We need brain fuel. Right. But like, there are ways that you can turn your no into a yes. And I think- I love that. That's true for all of us. Yeah. That's so practical. So practical. Another one that I I have learned recently that I've been I've been working on myself is for me, I notice when I start to feel tense or anxious or or something. And I know there's some trauma way back there that's getting poked. Um words are a big deal to me. And the words plus the emotion on top of the words. Mm-hmm. And I take those and like bundle them together and then create all kinds of meaning in my head that may or may not be the meaning that the person intended. So one of the newer tricks that I'm trying to learn for myself is separating the actual words from the emotion Mm -hmm. that I am perceiving because the emotion I'm perceiving may or may not be actually the emotion the person is trying to communicate to me Yes, and, and focusing just on the words Yes, and calming myself a little bit to do that. So I really like these ideas of how do we stop ourselves in the moment, as you and I both know and have probably been through in our own lives, going back and learning how to address the bigger picture, frankly, lie probably that you're believing mm-hmm. that's, that has actually been poked and 
practicing repentance and and replacing that lie with God's truth to kind of heal it more at the source. So it's almost yes. like we got to learn to deal with the symptoms and the source. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. I think there's some humility in that process, yes. you know, and yeah. as leaders, we need to continue to cultivate our humility, even as we have increasing reasons to be prideful, <laughs> like, and right. like being humble, it's a biblical principle, but God wrote it for a reason. He understood what that would do to our view of him and to our relationships with each other. I agree. I agree. You mentioned earlier on the call, kind of the way that you pray through the fruits of the spirit. And it, it really made me think about, I want to learn from you about how you stay connected to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about, as, you know, as a leader going into your day, for example, how are you praying? What are you praying? How are you staying connected to him? I used to not like the question of like, how do you do it all? How do you balance family life, work life, all yeah. the things. Because the truth is if I'm if I'm killing it at work, I probably didn't make my bed and we're eating carry out tonight. And if I, <laughs> you know, if my house looks amazing and then I probably left work early. And if I'm killing it with my kids, you know, I mean like it just you can't actually there is no such thing as balance. I prefer the word rhythm. And so when I think about spiritual rhythms, for me, I'm a natural extrovert. So if any of your listeners are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a seven or Myers-Briggs, you know, I'm the E, not the I. I I naturally draw energy from people, but but with the Lord, I need alone time with him. I need yeah. a, I need to be away. That's where restoration happens with him. And so just making sure that the motor stops and that I sit and I was up against a book deadline and couldn't figure out this one little part of the writing process. And I went to like a ministry time where people were doing prophetic and listening prayer. And so I sat down with these two people and they're like, okay, what what are you hoping for from the Lord today? And I'm like, I like this and I like this and I like this and I like this. And I closed my eyes and I felt like the Lord said, I don't work for you. Like, by the way, you, do, you know, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> And I was like, wow, I do sometimes come to you like yeah. an ATM or like totally. a like an assistant. Will you help me get this done? And so part of the way that I stay connected to the Lord is just remember my position in deference to him and then have alone time. But I also think probably the other two practices, one is accountability, like having someone feed into me, give me feedback. That's really been um, an important way for me to stay kind of on the right path. And then, yeah. I mean, lastly, I I love to learn new things, for lack of a better word, from scripture. I love to learn new ideas and stories and principles and meanings. And so the idea that I'll, that God still does really amazing things, um, but recognizing I'm part of a really old story, those are ways that I, yeah, that, that like, this is a really old story, by the way. He's been doing this with other people for a long time and he'll do it long after you're gone. Keeps me in perspective. Yeah. And that uh, he's still doing new things and he wants to do new things through you. Keeps me kind of energized and showing up every day. Yeah, I love that. And just reminding yourself of that on a regular basis mm-hmm. and getting that quiet time. I want to ask a little bit more about the accountability piece because mm-hmm. I think lots of leaders kind of isolate themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and there's, there's good reason for it. I, I get it. You know, you're in that position where it feels like you you can't 
necessarily share certain things with with everybody. How do you find the right level of accountability and who should we be asking for? Who should we be looking mm. for accountability, like as an accountability partner, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Certainly someone who asks you hard questions. You know, one of our values, like our expressed, it's written in a document where you review it every year, documents at back to back is that everybody has somebody that asks them hard questions. So I do think it's really important. Um, I was telling my accountability partner the other day that, and this is very possibly unique to Beth, like this isn't like <laughs> a leadership axiom, but where for some people, it's hard to say to other people what's going wrong in their life. For me, it's often hard for me to say what's going right in my life. There's something about the Christian culture that that reinforces this beautiful principle of humility that I don't always tell people what I have going on. And the the unintended consequence is that I don't have the right kinds of accountability around the things that I have going on. Like, I don't want to either make somebody else feel bad or like, I, I don't, I mean, that's, this is not turning into a therapy session, but like <laughs> when we're afraid to say what's going well or right, yeah. then we get blind spots and, and Achilles heels right. that don't get exposed. And so I think of accountability is not just Hey, I thought this, I did this, I shouldn't have said that. It's it's also about I've got this going on and this going on and this going on. And will you come alongside me and, and ask yeah. me hard questions? Yeah. I love that. Look for the person that's asking you the hard questions and invite them into that relationship. I like that a lot. Thank you. That was super, super helpful. Mm -hmm. All right. We're getting close to the end of our time. Mm -hmm. And I know you are getting ready to release a new book. I am. I think it's called The Heart That Wanted to Be Made Whole. Tell us a little bit about that project and give us a little sneak peek about that. Yeah, it's funny. I was, um, so this is book 14. So you'd think that- 14, congratulations. Well, I mean, I'm about to tell you, it was, you would think at that point, like I don't run marathons, but I'm, I always equate writing a book to running a marathon. Like you'd think if you run 13 marathons, the 14th would not be that big of a deal. But um, I'd never done a book like this before. It's, I've, all the books- I've written our, um, what they call trade books or adult books. There's a couple of kids chapter books in there, but basically books written by an adult for an adult. And this is a book written for kids and it's mm. got art in it that they had to go hire an artist for. But I asked, I had written a book, um, a year or so ago about spiritual warfare. And I was getting yeah. people saying to me, how do I teach kids about that? There's a spiritual enemy. I don't want to scare kids. I don't want to make them unnecessarily afraid. And I'm like, you think they don't know about evil? Like, have they ever watched a Disney movie? Like, like Disney's telling them about evil. But yeah. we've got to tell them not only that there is evil, but what it is, but what we have the power to do about it. Yeah. And so um, I had used a, an analogy for many, many years in my ministry with a piece of paper that I would rip into pieces. And I would tell whoever I was talking to, imagine this is the heart of a child and it's being ripped into pieces by all the kind of external forces that are coming against it and and even spiritual forces and then the call to action was asking people like you you actually can't heal this heart this is something only god can do but you can pick up pieces in his name and make deposits into the heart and the lord will use those efforts Mm -hmm. to sew together the plan he has Mm -hmm. for that child so i'd been doing an analogy like that for a long time and i and the visual was helpful so the heart who wanted to be whole is about a heart that experiences Um, attack by a spiritual enemy and it feels as a result afraid and it feels alone and it feels all that it it starts to believe a lie and 
all the things that can happen to us in spiritual attack. Yeah. And then the heart cries yeah. out and um, the response from the Lord results in a healing and the heart was whole again. And so that's, that is what yeah. that story is about. And I hope, I certainly hope it gives language for our youngest disciples, but I also hope in the process that adults read it and remember the spiritual truth that God never tires of healing. <laughs> never. That's so beautiful. And it kind of ties back even to our conversation about trauma, doesn't it? That, you know, in the midst of trauma is oftentimes the, Satan's most Absolutely. easy. It's, we're, we're the most worn down. We're the most vulnerable for him to get us to buy into something that then we we start believing. And yeah. man, his his work is is deceptive like that. I love the idea of starting to teach our children about this much more directly and give them the tools and tactics they need. So good. So good. So we will look for your book. We can get it on all this, all the normal places that I'm imagining. All the normal places. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Beth, you are full of wisdom and amazing stories and just so much good stuff for our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Anne. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Beth is such a breath of fresh air. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode how Beth aims to be more truthful than impressive, and she was both, wasn't she? (laughs) I hope the Faith Driven Leader podcast is filled with refreshing moments of authentic truth, and I am so inspired by Beth's humility and her honesty. Here are a few of my takeaways. First one, it resonated really loudly with me when Beth was talking about praying through the fruits of the Spirit, just asking God to show up with capacity for those things, for love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. And it connected for me to something else she said. She said that the more that we empty ourselves out, the more God can actually show up and our capacity actually ends up growing. It sounds simple, because I think it is asking the Lord for more of the fruits of His Spirit in our lives. When we do that, not only do we receive, but very often our capacity, which seems to be that thing that we all feel like we need more of, grows. Such a great reminder of how we can focus our prayers. Second big takeaway for me was on this topic of being overwhelmed. I've heard so many leaders say that they feel overwhelmed these days. I I have felt it many times myself. And when I think about the size and the scope of the mission and the vision that Beth has for Back to Back, I I knew she'd have some moments of overwhelm and maybe she'd even have some good counsel for us. And I really love what she taught us. She said that she gets overwhelmed when she thinks about causes, but she gets empowered when she thinks about people and relationships. That's a simple but a powerful shift. Focus on the relationships we have and the vision or the cause becomes kind of human. And then it's something we can impact even if it's one life at a time. Then she also added that feeling overwhelmed comes for her when she owns things that were never hers to own to begin with. Ouch, how often have I done that? And how often am I feeling overwhelmed because I'm trying to control or manage or anticipate or problem solve something that isn't even mine to own? I'm going to have to keep working on that one. Third big takeaway for me, you know, Beth gave us some really practical advice on how to handle when we or when people around us get triggered or bumped, meaning when our normal behavior kind of shifts towards anxiety, how can we help as leaders? Practically, we know that trauma 
triggers a fight or flight response. And when that happens for somebody in our team, we have the opportunity to kind of help them slow down and disengage so they can get back to their rational thinking. And there are three practical things we could do in these situations that Beth shared with us. The first one is to listen. She actually said the brain heals when it knows it's being heard. And I thought that was so powerful. But when we talk past somebody or try to talk through something, when somebody's feeling triggered, it doesn't help. If, if anything, it probably escalates the situation. So slowing down, give people space to be heard is critical. Second piece of advice she gave us was to instill some kind of play. When things get really intense, bringing a lighthearted moment to something can actually help people to kind of shift their thinking and disengage from the anxiety that they might be feeling. Even just taking a break can help. And then the third thing she said was, just simply say yes. Turning a no into a yes helps people shift out of fight, flight, or freeze type of mentality and type of thinking. The, the reality is the word no is very powerful and it can really intensify somebody's anxiety. So turning a no into a yes helps folks feel some agency. It helps people realize they have some options. So find something you can say yes to instead of defaulting to no in those situations. As I was thinking about this, I was realizing that to do those three things, to listen, to instill some play, or to shift from a default no to a yes, that for me personally, I need more self-control. And I thought it was great that that just kind of happens to be one of the fruits of the spirit, which brings us right back to Beth sharing about how she prays and asks the Lord for more of those fruits. So my challenge for you today is for you to pray through those fruits of the spirit, especially any of the ones that you think you need more of in order to listen well, to instill some play, or to say yes more often when you see folks on your team feeling anxious or even when you're feeling that way yourself. Well, friends, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Faith Driven Leader. Hey, if you love this podcast, please consider reviewing it and sharing it with a friend. Big thanks to our guest, Beth Guckenberger today. I will see you next time on The Faith Driven Leader.